The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. This is episode number 52. Um, I know, we've made it a full year worth of episodes. Uh, Year one will be concluded at the end of this recording. I'm John Burke, and the woohooer over here is Corey Starr. Hey guys. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm so glad it's a three-day weekend. You're still out for school, though, right? Yes, until Wednesday. I go back Wednesday. Dang. Nice. It's not enough, but, you know, it's... It never is. It never, never is. But um, I, uh, I've i seen quite a few movies this week, though. Um, what about you? Um, just, I, I felt like I did see something. Oh, well, we kind of already talked about it, but on Christmas I went to see um, The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and then I, I'm sorry, I, you know I love Killian Murphy, and... The new season of Peaky Blinders dropped, so I had oh, to watch season okay. three and season four. They only have six episodes each. Okay, because is it a BBC show or? Yes. Not... Okay. Well, it was BBC, and it still says BBC, but it. So I think that they only there are only rights for it to be on Netflix or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. I've heard good things about that. I've not watched any of it. Um, you recommend it? Amazing. Oh. I. It's one of my favorite shows. Because I also was confusing that with another show. That starts with a P, but features werewolves. What? What show is that? I can't think of what it's called now. Um, it's also oh. Netflix, I think, but it's not Peaky Blinders. Um, that's what this is, right? Peaky. Peaky. Yes. Yeah, and this is a like a mob mob show or something, right? Like crime. <laughs> yes. In like the late nineteen tens, early twenties, I think we're like nineteen twenty five right now. Mm. So and then of course you watch It's a Wonderful Life, which is the movie we're going to be reviewing. Today. Oh no, I did not watch that movie. Oh, crap. I'm just kidding. Well, I'm totally ruined. kidding. Oh okay. Oh no, my job here is done. I'm kidding. Um, I I watched a couple of classics, uh, including obviously It's a Wonderful Life, which I saw on Christmas Eve in the theater, um, for my second year in a row. Uh, and for the second year I brought someone who'd never seen it before. Last year I brought my daughter. Uh, this year I brought my friend David, who's the editor for BrookReviews. Um, dot com. And uh, he had never seen this movie like you, Corey. So I convinced him to come. He did show up, I think, 10 minutes late. Um, what? Yeah, it, that's his MO. Uh, normally, trailers give him a little bit of a buffer. But with those type of, like, you know, classic screenings, they don't usually do anything. Like, there was nothing before this. Um, which I was a little surprised because last year when I saw it, they did have, like, the TCM Ben Mankiewicz, um talking about... Uh, yeah, like the making of it or whatever, and that was not in this one. So that's weird because I haven't been to. So there was nothing; it just went straight to movie. Went straight to movie. Yeah, that is very strange. Well, you know, um, I think there might have been like the little roller coaster, like Regal thing. You know, I don't know if they have that in all Regals or just our Regal. But... I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think they had that, and then uh, right to movie. Um, so he had like no buffer and. Uh, and traffic. It was Christmas Eve, you know, at, oh, yeah. at seven o'clock. So people were leaving stores or leaving work and that kind of thing. Um, 
But I watched uh, the original Miracle on 34th Street from 1947 on um, Saturday, which is a classic Christmas for me. I watch it. I try to watch it every year. Um, I still love it. And then I got to watch um, a few things that I hadn't seen from this year. Um, and I'm going to go in order of my love of them. Uh, one, kind of. Um, I'm going to start with the one I loved the least, which was The Little Hours. And I say I love the least, but I I did enjoy it. The Little Hours is um, stars Aubrey Plaza, Allison Brie, uh, Kate Micucci, and um, Dave Franco, with John C. Riley and uh, Molly Shannon are also in the film. And I think one of your favorite people, Fred Armisen, is in the movie as well. Um, yeah, and it's set in the Middle Ages uh, at um, like Nick Offerman's in it, but not very much, which is a little disappointing. But uh, he plays like a lord whose servant is De Franco. De Franco is caught sleeping with the Lord's wife, so he's on the run. Um, he encounters oh. John C. Riley, who is a priest at a uh, nun's convent, and um, they he helps him. Uh, De Franco's character helps him, so he offers De Franco like shelter, but he has to pretend to be deaf and mute in order to like you know keep uh, basically so that he doesn't have a reason not to explain where he's been and whatnot. Um, I think that was the logic behind him being deaf and mute, but. The the nuns are Allison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, and uh, Kate McCucci, and they all have weird idiosyncrasies that um, play into some very funny moments. Some crazy stuff happens. It's it's raunchy, funny, um, but entertaining for the most part. Um, I did watch it like not, I think nine o'clock in the morning. I like I made breakfast and was like I'm gonna watch a movie. And I how had, do people watch movies in the morning? Well, I well I'm I'm on vacation for one, but two I had rented it from iTunes uh, like a month ago for ninety nine cents, and I had like, four days left, so I was like I better get this out of the way. Um, also Fair I enough. wanted Taylor to be asleep because I knew it was supposed to be pretty raunchy, and I didn't want it to be like, you know, her walking in on like some crazy moment happening or whatever. Um, and then yesterday I went to the theater and saw All the Money in the World. The uh, new Ridley Scott film um, with Michelle Williams, Mark Wahlberg, and uh, fairly well-inserted Christopher Plummer. There's one scene that looks like he's standing in front of a green screen, um, and probably is, uh, because it it just looks like they had a replace. And I I thought it was really good. Um, One of my favorite Ridley Scott films, probably. Um, Okay. Uh, definitely engaging. I don't know if Mark Wahlberg was the best casting because he still just feels like Mark Wahlberg in the movie. Um, yeah, but not a not bad either. Um, and what you're saying is it could have been like Ryan Gosling or you uh, know I don't know if Gosling would have been the right one either. But um, I kind of uh, like I feel like Mark Wahlberg gets the roles Matt Damon passes up. Like <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, but then I rewatched The Big Sick mainly to ensure <gasps> that it was my number one I film for our top five that we will uh, be. No one's heard yet except for us, but um, it's not a spoiler for you at least. And, and so, did you find it just as charming as the first time? I think I found it more charming. Um, I because I, I loved it the first time, um, but I was like, I was worried that it wouldn't hold up on a second viewing as much. Like I wouldn't be as into it and I was even more into it. And I also noticed a lot of stuff that I'd maybe missed the first time. Um, like little <laughs> things like conversations with, uh, Holly Hunter and Kamel Nanjani early, like when they're, uh, when Ray Romano fell asleep and they're at her apartment, there's a, the conversations they have play a, like a lot into how he interacts with his family later. And, um, I didn't, I guess I don't, I didn't remember picking up on that. Um, I may have and just forgot, but I really picked up on it this time around. 
But uh, the movie that I want to spend the most time, and I've already spent probably too much time, um, that I, I want everyone who listens to this podcast to give a chance is Brigsby Bear. Have you? Uh, we talked about it once um, on this podcast before, but uh, it's got Kyle Mooney, Mark Hamill, Greg Kinnear, um, Matt Walsh, uh, Andy Samberg, Ryan Simpkins, um, and Claire Danes has actually got a pretty pretty good uh, role in the film, which I didn't know. Because um, I know you don't like her. Um, I don't think she's a good crier. Uh, I I honestly when it first when I first saw her. I recognized her, but I didn't recognize her. Like, I'm like, okay, I know that actress, but who is it? And I was like, it kind of looked like Gwyneth Paltrow with the way her hair was and from the shot. I was like, no, that's definitely not Paltrow. Who is that? And then I had to look it up. And I was like, oh, it does. It's Claire Danes. Um, I don't think I've seen much of her recent stuff. I think I've mainly seen her as a younger actress, like Romeo and Juliet, um, Home for the Holidays, and something else that I saw. Oh, uh, Igby Goes Down. And then um, her role in this is not very large, um, but she she does she plays like a therapist, um, so she's in a few big scenes. Um, so I know you said to go into this like blind, but is it like a comedy or? It's a dramedy for sure. Um, okay. There there's a lot of humor in it. Like I I laughed quite a bit, but uh, the premise. Is is definitely dramatic, um, but I also I feel like it's one of the most optimistic and like hopeful movies that I've seen this year. Um, like, it could easily be super negative and super like uh, depressing and dark. And I in some ways there's definitely dark elements in the movie, but uh, there's this sense of hope and even just like goodness because people. I think characters do things that you expect them to do a negative thing like he goes to a party and he's definitely odd compared to like the everyone else he's a little older than the people at the party and right away he stands out as like different and that would normally lead to him being bullied or made fun of right and instead um he's genuinely embraced like like they know they they could he's yes he's a little weird and he's different but they embrace him and it feels very believable and and you know, not everybody, but anyone who like goes too far with being rude or whatever, they kind of get shut down. And and again, this is it's I'm describing it vaguely in an effort to keep like, well, why why is he different? You know, away. You just need to see the movie. It's it's worth renting. It's worth buying. Honestly, um, Mark Hamill is which I don't think I said his name. If I didn't, uh, shame on me because that should have been the, like the first name I said. He is fantastic. Um, in this movie, and so Greg Kinnear, I am a big fan of anyways, but I really like him in this. Um, he plays a police officer, uh, and as I noticed uh, when I was writing my review about it today, that um, all the characters really have like uh, a, a nice dynamic quality about them. They all go through a change throughout the course of the film, and it's it's just it's pretty terrific. Uh, it's one of my favorites, I think, for the year. Um, it's not in my oh. top 10, but it's definitely in my top 20. Um, I liked it quite a bit and, um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. It's, it's one of those things where it's, um, it's not as indie as it kind of looks like, because again, you have some big names in it and, uh, the Lonely Island have production credit, one production credit. There's a lot of producers on this film, but, 
Um, Kyle Mooney and then the director, uh, McCary, I think is his name. Um, they both have worked with Saturday Night Live, so they've definitely got a connection with, um, like, Sandberg and the Lonely Island, and that seems to, uh, to help. So, like, to help get, you know, funding and, and people. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's what I've been watching this week. Um, did you, did you see anything else that you just remembered or anything, Corey? Because sometimes you do that. <laughs> I know that I, sometimes I do that because I have the worst memory. Unless it's something that I said 10 years ago that I'm still feeling a little anxious about. But, <laughs> <laughs> I no, I was just looking up that movie because I know you talked about it. And I was kind of looking to see how hard it would be to get a hold of. Oh, it's on all the platforms right now. Um, it's even on Blu-ray and DVD on Amazon. So. Yeah, I was looking for Blu-ray. Yep, I figured. Yeah. That's, why, that's why I added that in there because I know you well enough. Digital is not I, your go-to, but no. Um, I don't think it, you could definitely rent it online, but I don't think you can. Uh, I don't think it's available for free on any of the streaming services yet. But oh, that's fine. Okay. All right. Well, that leads us to uh, looking what's coming out on home video this week um, mm-hmm. for January second, uh, the day after New Year's. Um, this is our. First, I can't deal. Yeah, I know, right? Um, is the first movie on the list is American Made, uh, starring Tom Cruise, Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, Sarah Wright, uh, Jesse Plemons, Caleb Landry, who's in so many things this year, Lola Kirky, um, and then some other people. Um, directed by Doug Lyman, who worked with Tom Cruise on uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which is now, I think, more commonly called Live, Die, Repeat, the uh, Groundhog Day sci-fi action movie that they did a few years ago. Um, oh, yeah. I saw American Made. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, it was definitely interesting. I, I am a fan of Tom Cruise, even though I'm not necessarily saying like I support his, you know, behavior outside of film, but generally he's a, he's a charismatic actor and I enjoy his presence on screen. Um, I know you don't, right? You're not a big Tom Cruise fan, if I remember correctly. No, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff to be fair, just because he is a little crazy. Yeah. Kind of turns me, you know, away, but I do like Domhnall Gleeson a lot and mm-hmm. that kid, Caleb Landry Jones, who's probably only a few years younger than me. I have liked what I've seen him in, too. I mean, Get Out, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, um, and now American Made. You need to top it off. The trifecta for the year. Um, Dang. Now, I did see that one. I do, I do, I'd say I recommend it. It's not the best movie or anything, uh, but it's definitely entertaining. And it's an interesting story, although severely exaggerated from the truth. He was in the Florida Project, too, and he was in Twin Peaks. yeah, I think his role in the Florida Project is super tiny, though. Like, I think he's yeah. barely in it. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure he plays um, uh, Willem Dafoe's son, and he's only in like two scenes for less yeah. than like four minutes. Like, um, but not not to discredit, he's good when he's on screen. But I, I'm pretty sure that's who it was. I, if I'm wrong, I cannot remember him in that movie. Then, like, that's the only other character I can think of in the movie who isn't um, either Willem Dafoe or a girl. Because so, the the two lead actresses, uh, adult actresses, because again, it's really Brooklyn Prince is the star of the Florida Project, and she's a little girl, and um, yeah, but uh, he's definitely in that. He's got a credit for it. I just don't remember what he did in it. Um, next up, coming out, one that I missed, and I definitely want to rent is Battle of the Sexes. Uh, stars Emma Stone, Steve Carell, um. And then we got a lot of other people in here. Andrea Riceborough, Natalie Morales, Sarah Silverman, Bill Pullman, Alan Cumming, um, Elizabeth Shue. Wow. That's the last time you saw Elizabeth Shue in something. 
Um, Eric Christian Olsen. Oh, Fred Armisen again. Uh, Corey's fave. Um, she loves that Portlandia. Um, directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. Written by Simon Bafoy. It is the biopic of uh, Billie Jean King and... Um, well, not so much a biopic as much as the competition between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, which um, was interesting because when this movie was coming out, I couldn't place when it was. And so I felt like, man, should I know what this is? Like, did I live through this like story? I did not. It's 10 years before I was born. But nonetheless, um, I do. You can want... tell from the bad haircuts. Yes. Yeah. It looked older, <laughs> but I wasn't sure because to me in the 80s they are also bad haircuts. So, you know, um... <laughs> but uh Battle of the Sexes, I've heard pretty good things about. Um, definitely one I want to check out. And I will be looking to see it now that it is on home video and VOD as of Tuesday. Um, the last one is one I think a lot of people didn't hear about. And I'm I'm kind of disappointed because I really wanted to see this in the theater. And it didn't get to a theater that I thought was close enough to me. Um, it is directed by Mike White. Um, it's called Brad Status. Have you heard of that one? No. Okay, this one looks great to me. Um, oh, it has... It's Ben Stiller, Austin Abrams, Jenna Fisher, Michael Sheen, Jermaine Clemens, who I'm a huge fan of uh, in everything I've seen him in, which isn't much, Luke Wilson, um, and then some people... Oh, Mike White. Oh, that's who Mike White Michael is. Michael Sheen. I just placed who the director is. Mike White, um, is he is involved with School of Rock. I think he was a co-writer on School of Rock, and he was Hold the on. best friend in School of Rock. Like he, That's where... Uh, Jack Black lived with Mike White. He shows up in Zombieland um, for a scene with Emma Stone. Oh. Uh, he's a gas station attendant. He's an actor and writer-director. I didn't realize that's who did this, though, and now I'm even more excited about this movie. Um, it's got a 72 Metacritic. Um, a father takes his son to tour colleges on the East Coast and meets up with an old friend who makes him feel inferior about his life's choices. And uh, I, I think the trailer just looks phenomenal. Um, the kid, Austin uh, Abrams, I believe, was in Paper Towns. Yes. And The Kings of Summer, which I like both of those movies. Um, Paper Towns has got some flaws for sure, but I, I tend to enjoy coming-of-age stories, um, and despite their flaws, uh, more often than not, if the story's compelling. And Paper Towns, I found pretty interesting, um, despite Cara Delevingne still being not an actress. But Cara Delevingne. Whatever her name is. Um, no, I was saying despite Cara Delevingne oh, being yeah. Cara Delevingne. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I said her name wrong, which is would have no. not been surprising either. Um, no. All right. Yeah. No. Well, agreed. So, um, of the three, I am definitely most excited for Brad Status because this was one. I don't remember when I saw the trailer. It was earlier this year, and I really wanted to see it. And I think it came to Orlando. I just didn't make my way out there for it, but I definitely want to uh, rent this one. I might go out of my way to rent this one on Tuesday. Um, cause it's one that I really do want to see. Um, and I am definitely going with Brad status too. I like Ben Stiller when he's in the right roles mm -hmm. and I have not seen anything, but just reading what it's about. Um, I feel like he would be good in that. The, the role. trailer shows a very Walter Mitty esque <laughs> type, like where he's, I love that movie. Uh, me too. I, I like, uh, it's funny cause I like him and Carell more often in their more dramatic roles and less comedic <laughs> roles. Um, I like them with comedy because I, I think they can introduce good humor into like serious situations. But when they go like off the wall, I tend to dislike them. Except I love Ben Stiller in uh, full character too. When he goes like 100% into a character like in Dodgeball. 
I think he's so oh. funny as the villain in Dodgeball. But I, I, then again, I hate Zoolander. Like, other people love Zoolander. I can't stand Zoolander. Didn't bother I to watch the second one. Liked him in, and now I'm forgetting, and it's one of my favorite movies, and it also has my girl Wayne on it. Yeah, it in does. It. Um, I just watched it. Um, <sighs> Reality Bites? Yes. You thank go. you. Yep, yep. Although, minor role in that one, and he still does that crazy angry guy that he was, like, kind of trademarked for. They brought him into Friends as Rachel's boyfriend for one episode to do that same angry guy, like, thing that he does. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, I know way too much about Friends, but um, I don't know if that's why they brought him in, but that's, like, he has that kind of staple, like, angry rant guy that he does, like, in Reality Bites when he gets really mad at, um, he he loses it and starts snapping on somebody. Um, yeah, it's, you know... I don't mind that, but I don't think it's his best performance. When he when he goes serious, he's generally really believable. That's why I want to watch the Meyerowitz Project. Um, I hear he's really good in that as well. I actually hear Sandler's really good in that. And so that's been on my list for a little bit now. I need to get to it before the end of the year. All right. that That's it for our home video. There's some other stuff coming out, but that was nothing I was familiar with. And um, I thought these three were all prominent. Um I think Battle of the Sexes and Brad Status both were very well received indie films this year, and American Made had a lot of, a lot of hype. It didn't quite live up to I think in terms of dollars, but it was still engaging. and And it's a based. It is based loosely on a true story. I read. Um, there's a few websites out there that will like break it down, um, fact by fiction kind of thing, and um, there's a lot of exaggeration for the, for American Made, but it definitely probably made it more engaging as a result. <laughs> mm. All right, um, so now we only have one new movie coming out in theaters on uh, Friday, January 5th, 2018. No. Um, and it's not one that I'm super excited for. Um, January and February are often kind of the uh, dump months. <laughs> um, yeah, where, where else are we going to release it? Yeah, uh, and this one is Insidious, The Last Key. Um, <gasps> it's not are they direct- finally ending it? Well, it sounds like it, but I doubt it. Um, Adam Robitel is the director, so not James Wan. Um, and this one focuses on the parapsychologist. I've only seen the first Insidious, and I wasn't captivated enough to go to the second or third. Um, and then, uh, but it's Dr. Elise Rainier, and I know she's in the first movie. Um, the trailer looked really bad for this, and the fact that a horror movie is coming out in January. Is not usually a good sign that the studio has faith in it. Um, normally, you're gonna want like I think didn't Rings come out in January last year? I feel like it probably did. It was pushed back. Maybe it was December. set to come out in October, and it did not. And it was pushed back. And I, I thought they pushed it back to 2017, but I definitely could be wrong. Um, but either way, that movie didn't do very well. I don't think Insidious: The Last Key looks very good. Um, I don't plan on seeing it, especially because I've missed two of them, and I'm not in any kind of hurry to see the rest of them. But I'm hoping that some of those uh, Oscar nod movies are going to start getting wide releases. Uh, Molly's Game is going to have a wider release that week. Uh, the Phantom Thread will be in wider release that week. Yes. Um, and The Post, the Spielberg's new film with Tom Hanks oh. and uh, Meryl, Meryl Streep, Street. will get a big push. And Bob Odenkirk, who looks fantastic in that movie too, by the way. Um, I haven't even seen a trailer. Oh, I have so many. It's so it's like made for me with my journalism background and Spielberg and then Tom Hanks and Meryl. It's just like it, it's a perfect storm of Birkenfield love just waiting to happen. Um, I I need to see it as soon as possible. But um, I'm hoping those will come at least closer to me. 
I don't know if any of those will come to my theater, but I'm hoping they'll be like within 30 to 40 minutes, like in Lakeland or something. But um, so, folks, if Insidious doesn't you know make you want to go see it, <laughs> keep your eyes open for these other films that are starting to expand out. And if you've missed something that's still in theaters, like if you haven't seen Coco yet and it's still in theaters uh-huh. next week, you should check that out. Um, I just saw uh, All the Money in the World, which is definitely worth checking out. Um, because that's based on a true story that I did I knew nothing about, uh, and found it very very compelling. But yeah, um, Corey, you 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 made a joke about this being the last one. Have you seen all of the Insidious films? I have seen the first one. I don't really remember it very well, and I think I saw the second one. I, you know, not I don't really remember it that well. So obviously, uh, yeah. my favorite genre it just turns out a lot of junk. Well, a lot of people like the first Insidious. Um, I I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Like I just was like kind of bored. I feel like it's forgettable. I was like, yeah. what happened again? I remember that like the boy leaves the house. Sorry guys, spoilers. And then the ghost or whatever, whatever the demon is going to just follow him to the next house. So what's the point? Yeah, I don't know. It 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 was whatever. Um, and what's it's uh it's got Paul. The same guy from the um, Conjuring movies. Why can't I think of his name? Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson, not Paul. I knew that was wrong. It didn't sound. Right. Yeah, Patrick Wilson um, is also in Insidious. He's the dad, uh, and I like him. So you know, I, I, I get, do too. I went, and I like I. I don't know. I want to say I like James Wan, and then I hesitate because I'm like, well, kind of like I like when the he's good. He's real good. And I, I liked Saw when I saw it a long time ago. I haven't really I rewatched it. I thought I don't want to say groundbreaking, but I thought it was very inventive. Saw, and I still think that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just it it changed horror at the time for sure. Um, I just don't think we need that many. I don't. Yeah, there's like when there's a sense of humor about the horror movie, like with Jason and Freddy, kind of goes off the chain a little in the later movies. But Jason always stays pretty consistent with the like. It's never great. But the kills are inventive, and Jason looks cool. You know what I mean? Like, so I can get past all of the sequels with those, and I never expect them to be great. Like, I expect them to be exactly what they are. Um, Saw opened up so strong that, and even like the second one, it it, it he retrofits story. Like, it it sounds smart, but when you analyze it, you quickly realize how dumb it all is. But it it if you just kind of fall into it, which I did when they first came out, like the first two or three. Um, I was like, oh man, I never. That's such cool how they like tie these twists together. Even again, when you analyze it, it falls apart. But initially, it seems really, really innovative and interesting. But then it's like, well, now seven movies. You still expect me to believe that all of this was orchestrated like all this time ago? Yeah. Like it, it just goes on. And they got, they got more and more like gory. Like they were gory to begin with, but then they became like just nothing but gore fest. It wasn't because like most of the first saw, there's only a little bit of gore. It's like it's building to that one moment where you're like, oh, my God, don't do it. And then like the other ones, it's just like it starts that way and it doesn't stop. And it's like, well, I feel like with movies like that, with the bigger the budget, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, less concerned they are with, you know, um, I don't want to say like making a story because obviously they've intricately weaved all these. But I do want to say that I am also a very big fan of Dead Silence. And that's a James Wan movie. And I love that movie and it does have its its fans it also has a lot of haters uh, i think i i liked it i didn't love it but i definitely it was it was not bad at all 
Um, and there was some. I didn't see the twist coming in that movie for sure. No, and dummies are scary, guys. Yes, inherently they're just creepy. Um, they're petrifying. Well, that's all that we have for theaters. So um, I'm not going to go see Insidious. It doesn't sound like Corey is either. Uh, but we'll both be renting Brad Status and maybe Battle of the Sexes instead of going to the theater. Unless, again, Phantom Thread or The Post or um, I still need to catch up on the Molly's Shape of Water. Shows up near me. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah, you need to see that before it leaves theaters. I kind of want to rewatch that one. Um, I, I was not emotionally as moved by The Shape of Water as I wanted to be. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was just a little disappointed and it, I don't I it was when I went to write my review it was very hard because when I dislike a movie it's easy to write a review when I love a movie it's easy to write a review but when I don't yes. know why I I know it's it's just something didn't click for me like I, I needed it to to like be enthusiastically in love with the film I, I look at it I know it's gorgeous I know it's well acted. But there is just something like off. It, it not even off because again, it's it's a good movie. I liked it. I wasn't like dissatisfied, but I was kind of surprised I didn't love it, and I wasn't sure why I didn't love it. And um, especially because some of my friends and and some of the critics that I like have raved about how much they love it. And I'm like, well, why didn't it click for me? Like, because some are saying it's his best movie, and I'm like, I still like Pan's Labyrinth Ooh. more. Like. Um, and again, I'm, I can do that, but I, I guess I want to be able to articulate why I feel the way I feel, and it was one that I had a hard time initially doing. I do think I ended up putting a decent review together, but it was one that I, I had to sit on for a couple of days before I wrote it to come up with my thoughts. So, mm. With that, I think it's time we get into our movie for the week, and that is It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. Directed by Frank Capra, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, Henry Travers, uh, Balula Bondi, Frank in uh, Frank Phelan, uh, that's name uh, Ward Bond. Which I have to point out, Frank Phelan plays Ernie, and Ward Bond plays Bert. Uh, oh yeah, Bill said something about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Bert and Ernie. And yeah. Like- I don't know if that was the inspiration um, for the Sesame Street characters, but I like to pretend it is. Um, now, I have seen this movie several times. Um, I didn't know why. I was actually I went through like the trivia on IMDb and was like reading a lot of the interesting stuff about it. There's a lot of cool trivia on this movie. Um, I think partly because of how old it is and that it. Uh, but at some point in the 70s, something glitched with their copyright. And the movie went into the public domain or like way earlier than it was supposed to. And so for like a good chunk of the 80s and 90s, um, every network could play this movie as much as they wanted and didn't have to pay for it. So like oh, heck. that's why I saw it so much as a kid and I didn't know that's why it was always on TV as a kid. Like I remember it was on like all the time and as, a, as an adult and I'm even saying like as an adult like when I turned 18 – I noticed that it wasn't ever on anymore, and that's, I think, why I went for a good 10 years without watching it, um, because it just wasn't on TV like it used to be. I, of course, at the time, didn't know that. I didn't know why, um, but I bought it a couple years ago, and I've watched it every Christmas since then, and it has moved me every single time uh, to tears. And um, it is a longer movie. It's two hours and 10 minutes. Uh, if you've never seen it, um, we won't spoil it right away. We will give you a warning when we are going to talk about specific scenes. But um, the 
IMDb plot summary says an angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would have been like if he had never existed. Which is, it's kind of a spoiler, but it's not. Um, because right away at the beginning of the movie, that is the framing device that we are seeing uh, George Bailey's life, who is uh, James Stewart's character, um, as an angel is learning about him so that he can help him at a moment of crisis. And um, it's obvious that I love this movie. So I'm going to shut up and let's hear from Corey. This is her first time seeing It's a Wonderful Life. What did you think? Okay. Um, I'm going to just keep it short and sweet right now because I want to talk about it more in spoilers. I was a little nervous because that synopsis is accurate for the movie. And it sounds like it could be not very interesting I should have known better for how beloved it, it is, but I loved it. Very good. I I am always worried with this. Um, <laughs> like, well, I I've n- never heard anything negative about this movie, and then um, a friend that I went to see Die Hard with, they were screening this um, at that like that historic theater for Christmas, and she's like, I I hate that movie. She's like, I don't know why everyone loves it. I just hate that movie. And then I was like, what? So I was a little nervous about that, too. I wonder, I'm sorry. has she seen it as an adult, though? Because I, I didn't have fond memories of it. Um, I didn't have as fond of memories of it as I wanted to when I watched it a few years ago. Um, because <laughs> I remembered it. I think I had that kind of teenage, it's black and white, so it's boring mentality um, about the movie. Um which I don't think I've ever watched the color version um, of the film, to be honest. But uh, it, it was originally in black and white, and that's the way I, I think I prefer to watch it now. But um, I, I definitely I can see people not embracing the film as much as they should. Um, no. And there, there's there's definitely some stuff that doesn't age well. Like uh, they have a servant, um, although it's implied that she is paid, uh, and it is it's set in the, it's not set in a time where they would have had slaves but still it is a very stereotypical black woman um servant and it's it's a little like uh, oh i see i didn't i didn't feel that way again i've only seen this movie the one time so i might have been missing something and i know that she is black but i thought that at one point they called it like a boarding house or something oh that was yeah but that was if he had not been born it's a boarding house um, oh yeah! I thought that it was when Henry and this was at the beginning. They called it like a boarding house or a bed and breakfast or something. I I don't remember that. Um, I, they were, and Harry, his brother, was at the table too. Before he was going off to college, yeah, that, I could be that wrong. was the scene right before they go off to uh, the the dance. I don't think I think they might have made a joke about a boarding school. I don't think they were actually a, a boarding house. Okay. Boarding house. I'm sorry. Um, okay. But she, she, they play her off to be ignorant um, in a lot of the scenes, and she like, oh. Um, but again, that it's of the time, and um, I recently saw a uh, an interesting quote from I think it was Warner Brothers that they had put in front of like some Looney Tunes cartoons, uh, saying that some of the characters in the in the cartoons are um, racially insensitive and something along those lines, and that. Um, we nothing has been changed or altered because uh to to act like this world didn't exist 
is to you know deny the history kind of thing like not don't we're not okay with these racially insensitive characters but they reflected an attitude of the time and we should be aware that at some point in our life we thought this was okay like you know what i mean like it, it's an interesting kind of take on characters like that that at some point this was acceptable and if you act like it never happened and pretend like it never happened, it'd be very easy for it to happen again. You know? Again, yes. Um, so I found that really yes. a good way of looking at when you watch older movies that have some of those types of things in them, like um, Touch of Evil, which is a really awesome and well-regarded uh, Orson Welles film, yet it has... Um... Oh, man. I'm going to I'm gonna have to look up his name. Um, it has a character in brownface, though. Um, he's oh. playing uh, he's, now. He's playing a um, a Mexican character, but uh, Charlton Heston is in brownface. Um, he's oh. playing a, a Mexican character, and if you know anything about Charlton Heston, he's not Mexican. Um, and it's very apparent that he's wearing like you know dark makeup, and that's not okay. But at some point, they thought it was okay, and it's good to be aware that it's not okay. And so, seeing it definitely reminds you that that's not okay. Um, it doesn't mean you should make a movie like that now. Of course, that's the whole point is to don't forget the past. Hi, hire a Hispanic actor if you need to have a Hispanic character. Don't don't put a white guy in brown face. So um, that's it. I, with her character, though, and I think it's funny because with both of these movies that we've watched, um, it's this one and uh, White, white Christmas. Christmas. Mm-hmm. They both have like a housekeeper or, you yeah. know, like someone and they're both nosy and they're both sassy. That's true. That's that true. They are kind of played for comedy, and, and that's. I think that's a good good point there um, to bring up. Um, and and again, um, it, it nothing nothing overtly happens. They don't they don't call her a name or anything like that. It's just like she has her lines are like at one point she goes, "I was saving this money in case I ever got a husband," and that's kind of sad. <laughs> I and needed like, to get a divorce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It was, um, but. Um, Overall, it, it the movie to me the, the the message that it conveys, um, and uh, I, even it's it's I don't want to spoil anything even though this is a very old movie, um, it's just such a powerful story about um, you know being grateful for what we have and appreciating you know the the impact one individual can have on the world, um, especially even when they don't think they are, and. George, you know, views his life in such a negative way because he had these big plans from the age of being, you know, very young. He wanted to travel the world and something always gets in his way. And he feels like he failed because he hasn't done any of the things he wanted to do. And I think that's something that's that's universal and so human um, and that uh, most people can relate to. And I think that's why the movie holds up as great as it does. And it is. Um, one of the reasons why I was kind of okay with us watching it after Christmas, even though I saw it on Christmas Eve, but you weren't able to watch it until uh, yesterday, I think, right? Uh, I watched it the day before yesterday. Okay, sorry. But um, is that, yeah, it was after Well, Christmas. it's set at Christmas. You're only in the scene at Christmas for a very little while, right? Like you, most of the movie is flashbacks throughout his life which are not necessarily ever like there's never a time period necessarily said. Um, so it's only the, the technically the opening scene and then the very end sequence that's actually at Christmas. So while it is a Christmas film um, by most people's standards and most people watch it this time of year, 
it is I I would say it's accessible to watch at any point because it is um you know a story about you know being comfortable with one's role in the life and and um you know finding joy in in appropriate like in places that you may not realize you have it kind of thing. That was not the best articulation of what I'm trying to say, but there you go. Um, so uh, obviously I love it. Corey has said she loves it. I think it's time we get into spoilers. Okay. Um, so I, this movie made me very emotional. Um, okay. So we're about to spoil this movie. If you want to go check it out first, um, and then come back and give us a listen. That's fine. If you don't mind spoilers, full steam ahead. We'll be talking about this in great detail. I got worried for a second you weren't going to do the spoiler warning and you were just going to say no. why you got emotional. <laughs> I, well, I want to say this. Like, I think that the reason why it fits so well at Christmas time and before the end of the year is because that's, I feel like that's when people are most sentimental. I mean, yeah. we have like Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then it's a new year and everybody has all these big plans about, you know, how they're going to change oh. and they have these big ideas, you know, and I just. That's why I feel like it fits really well then. I, oh my gosh, I want to just start by saying that I don't think that I've ever seen James Stewart in anything else. I want to see more. Oh, Um, wait a second. Yeah, I don't think I've, I haven't really seen any of the Hitchcock films. I was just looking, I know, I was just looking at, um, you know, his uh, credits and yeah, I just was... So this movie was two hours and ten minutes, but it didn't feel like it at all. No, I was yeah. so caught up in the story, and I loved it so much. Um, I love how it begins, where we're just like seeing these, I, like clouds and stars like light up in the sky, and it's like the angels talking to each other, and you know, Clarence wants to get his wings, and well, even I, I always forget the the very first thing we see are shots of the town. Um, and then he, we hear prayers for George Bailey, a character we haven't seen or met yet, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then that's when we jump to the uh, heavens to to hear them well responding to the prayers, which is really interesting. And I was, I'm like tearing up. I was going to send you Snapchats of me ugly crying, <laughs> but I refrained. Um, I was. That's what I was reading, and I didn't realize who these, who all these people were that were saying those prayers. Yeah, and I even forgotten some of the ones that were said and this i don't know this movie blew me away and i just was like i don't know and i loved mary oh and donna reed um which i i grew up watching reruns of the donna reed show um as a kid too on nick at night and so i i'm she's so good in this movie and i one of the interesting trivia things i read was the scene where he walks her home and there he's wearing the uh the football uniform that's barely on and she's got the robe on um, and they throw the rocks through the window. Yes. Uh, that Frank Capra, the director, had hired a like a sharpshooter so that when they threw oh. the rock, the window would be shot like on time, right? And yeah. And Donna Reed blew them all away and knocked the window with the first throw because she used to play baseball in high school. Yes. So everyone was like doubting that she's going to hit the window and she breaks it on the first try. So <laughs> I was like, well, that's a cool yes. piece of trivia. Um, and Oh, go ahead. No, uh, keep please keep going. I loved 
her love for George. And I love at the very beginning, she's just a little girl and he's like 12, I think, and he's working in the pharmacy. And she like leans into his ear and she's like, this is your bad ear. You can't hear him. Right. And she's like, George Bailey, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life. And or something like that. And then when they're at the house and they're throwing the stones and making wishes, like we all kind of have an idea about what she wants because she really does love this guy still even to the age of 18. And then when they buy the house and he just sees it as a drafty old piece of junk, but she like truly loves that house and that's truly what she wanted. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, (laughs) she loved the house. Obviously she tells us that when he's throwing rocks at it, but um, the honeymoon scene is so amazing, you know? Um, Yes. I mean, that whole sequence when the, the, you know, the, everyone's worried about the bank and so they, they want all their money back and George is just desperately trying to. to I, I love that about him because he always wants to walk away, but he can't. He can't walk away from people who need him, and like he he hates the savings, the buildings and loan, but he knows how much good it's done in the town and refuses to let it be taken over by Potter. Um, and I, I just his James Stewart is. Probably my favorite actor. Um, I have seen Rear Window countless times, Vertigo countless times. Um, two Hitchcock films you must watch if you've not seen them. And then I'm feeling like I have seen Rear Window, and now I'm not so sure. But um, I am—I was trying to find it. I was looking on the quotes because in his father's office, I think we might see it before his father passes away. But then it's definitely under a photo of him that's on the wall. And they don't ever, like, zoom in really well so you can read it. But it's a quote that says something like, the only thing you can take with you is what you give away. Ah, yes. And I'm just like, yes, because I feel like that is exactly what that family does. They are never wealthy. They are, you know what I mean? They aren't Mm -hmm. ever in it to make a lot of money, but they keep doing it anyway even when uh when george is talking with the dad at dinner it's such a nice conversation because they're they're kind of arguing but they're arguing in such a civilized like adult manner like where they're neither of them is raising their voice they're both kind of just stating their opinions and um you know essentially george's dad is trying to convince him to stay and continue running the buildings alone and george is like but that's i've done my time i want to go do these things and his dad concedes like you're right you're right. You should go and do do what you want to do, um, and then on the you know his dad passes away that same evening, and it's he's kind of he feels obligated to stay and let Harry he lets Harry go off and and go to college and I mean he gave him his money he had saved for himself to go to his college. And he's so proud of his brother though. That's the thing, you know. Like he's never bitter. He he's he's always like he's bitter, but not towards any one individual yeah it's just like and he wants his brother to do well he wants everyone to do well he also just wants to do his thing and that's where the he gets so frustrated and especially because it all ends up biting him in the butt when and it's all because of freaking potter too which is and oh this is jumping ahead a lot i love the ending but that 
oh, that rat bastard didn't give him back the money. And I was just waiting for him to have a change of heart or something and give him back the money. Yeah, he is the Scrooge character for sure um, in this movie. And poor Uncle Billy. Worse than Scrooge because he never comes around. Correct, yeah. He doesn't have the redeeming quality that you expect uh, a character like that to have in a movie. Like, you expect him to be the savior. He has a chance. Like, Billy gives him the money. He literally hands him the money on accident because Billy's a little absent-minded um and it's man it's so it's such a frustrating turn of events because you watch Billy Uncle Billy just go into like sheer panic and uh, of course because he lost eight thousand dollars which is like everything they have kind of thing and um you watch him just you know trying to find the money and and clearly feeling guilty and then how George handles it and he's he lashes out initially, but then he, you know, he knows he would never let anyone else take the fall. He's going to take the fall because that's the type of man George is. Um, you know, even uh, the, the scene, because even the the actor who plays young George, which I can't find his name, um, but when, you know, we meet, he saves his brother from drowning and then um, his ear is damaged and he goes to work for Mr. Gower oh. and Mr. Gower's son has passed away. And he's he's emotionally distraught. He shouldn't be working, but he is working. Okay, there it is. Robert J. Anderson is the actor who plays Little George, um, and I think he does a great job in that role. Like he's he's oh yeah, you know, some of the mannerisms that then Stewart repeats, like walking in with the lighter and making a wish. Um, I love that like little yes. Yeah. And uh, what is the word that I um he uh, I don't know what word to use, but every time he does that, he is just like genuinely excited about it. Yeah. And it makes a wish. He's enthusiastic and it's uh he that's part of the character. He's so sincere. Um and there's so many uh, like the whole scene where um do you want the moon? I'll throw a lasso around it. Like it's so romantic and the drawing that she has done or she does for him later which of course he is such a jerk there. And that was my um David uh his a couple of his comments were like he couldn't believe how much of a jerk George could be, and he's like he's right because when George is at his worst, he is awful. Like he's so he's so mean to uh, her there, and then when he's mean to the kids at the end of the movie, and again each time he's under some type of stress or duress, Direct. but still like man, you're a jerk when you don't like when you're not happy, you don't know how to not take it out on other people. Like you're just ripping into those kids. Yeah. He is very he, I, uh, he is very cruel. I got really upset. Uh, but but, it, um, but we know what's going on, and it's hard to like completely yes. fault him. Um, you know what I mean? Like it is, but at the same time, it's like well. And you kind of mentioned it um, that about um, when they have the honeymoon. They and also I want to I want to say this that I had no idea what a bank run is. So thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you. Um, I realized it was like that people were like taking their money out of the bank, but I didn't really understand why. So I was like, what? And then why that would translate to the building and loan, you know, business. Um, But I, they gave away all their money or, you know, they were giving their money to the people that were trying to withdraw their money out of the business since they had lost the money. Isn't that that part? Yeah, that's. I believe that's the part you're referring to. And um, 
So they lose their money for their honeymoon. And then it's at that same house before they buy it and move in, right? Yeah, yeah. she must have – I don't know if she bought it or if she just found that, like, you know, the cop is going to let her do – and Bert and Ernie orchestrate everything with her. Um, you know, you get the posters and uh, of all the different locations, and she prepares their their little – honeymoon nest and even like she she tells him not to go like when they're in the car leaving and he's like wait stop the car she's like george don't go and he goes because he has to he sees that something's wrong and he knows the bank and the building alone is going to be in trouble too um but she shows up there with the money and immediately offers to give up the honeymoon money to pay these people to keep the the business the buildings alone in in running order and it's She's such a great character. Like she's so supportive, every every turn, no matter how jerky he can be to her. Because um, I think that's why she loves him. Like from the very beginning, he's. I don't. <sighs> well, I started with Mister Gower and the little, little George, like him catching that it was poison and then not going and delivering it, and then you know taking oh. a, a cruel beating when that every time he slaps that kid's ear, it like makes me cringe. But then when he realizes what George did and how he just not only saved another person's life, but also saved Mr. Gower from being a murderer, you know, um, that that embrace and how he hugs the kid. It's so and every time you see Mr. Gower after that with with adult George, you know, how he gets him the suitcase and he does. You know, I love that. It's it's so cool to see like that. You know, he was he was upset. He was not trying to hurt anybody. He didn't know that George had stopped him from hurting somebody. He thought George was just being a slacker and he was upset. So he really lashes out. But when he realizes what George did, he his his demeanor changes so much. And you see that he never forgets it. And that's what you see with everyone George has touched. Everything George has done in his life, no one has forgotten. His kindness, his generosity, um, and his sacrifice. And that's what the end of the movie does. <laughs> I don't um, – and it, I was going to mention that too when they're setting up like for the honeymoon. You can tell how much the town loves him because those police officers do help set up all that. And aren't they singing outside? Yeah, they are the ones that are out there singing um, during the uh, that scene where they're – with the honeymoon is what you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, it's, er- mm-hmm. it's Bert and Ernie, the, um, the cab driver and then the, the police officer. Right. He's a cab driver. Yeah, he's – I love Ernie. Um, and then there is the, the tough – Clarence, the angel, shows up. Um, and oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's a, it's an interesting scene. I love how you know his, his injured lip goes away. And um, you see – He can hear. He can hear again, like for, out of that ear for the first time. And um, and then he sees what the world would be like if he was never born. And it's it's crazy. And it's, you know – Pottersville? Pottersville instead of uh, the name of the city that I'm now forgetting. Um, I'm looking it up because I'm feeling dumb. But um, uh, uh, so many things, right? Like the it looks like the Vegas Strip instead of you know like a nice homey little town. It's like strip clubs and and this is in the 40s, wow. you know. So it's yeah, it's really rough. And um, people that he care about are, are having you know are not doing so well. And um, even his his wife, you know, she is a librarian. Looks very like she's never found love at all. I think she. They even say she's an old maid or something. Um, and it's such a tough experience for him. It's it's tough for us. 
Um, and of course, uh, the lesson is learned though that um, his life does have meaning. His life is not worthless. And the ending is the best thing in the world to me. Um, you know, here he is, ready to go to jail, let himself be taken in, and, and the town comes to his aid. Even the people who are against him, with the exception of Potter, but like the uh, the bank, the man who is like going to be the one finding the error gives money. The uh, the bank, the 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 lawyers give money. Like everyone donates to help save him and the buildings and loan. Um, and of course, the worst part is Potter still has eight thousand dollars that he's just going to get to keep, I guess, because no one's going to ever know that he's the one who has the money, and that makes me even more mad. But um, he gets the book from Clarence, his um, uh, Tom Sawyer, with the little inscription that no man is poor if they have friends or something like that. And I I, I need to look it up the actual quote, but I I love the quote so much. Um, it I I literally cry at this movie it's not just like a few tears here and there it is genuine like tears are streaming down my cheeks and i'm wiping them off with a napkin hoping nobody noticed how much i was crying there well man i was hoping it would be on this but i don't see it um but uh cory do you have anything to add to the like the movie anything else you want to talk about um i think everybody should see it and if you don't like it, you're wrong. <laughs> Have you told your friend that yet? <laughs> no, I haven't seen her. <laughs> um, well, Just send her a super awkward text. You were wrong about the one of its wonderful eye. You need to rewatch it, you <laughs> awful human. It, it's such an uplifting movie, it is hard to believe anyone can it not like it. Makes, it made me want to be a better person. Yeah, uh, I mean, it does. like, And it, it makes you appreciate. It makes me feel guilty if I've ever not been appreciative to people who um, it says, remember no man is a failure who has friends is what's in the book. And that is even more pertinent because of his feeling that he didn't achieve what he set out to achieve in life. And the realization that, yeah, you've done so much though. You've done so many things great to help people. And so many people would not be here if not for you. Um, and I did want to say, actually, sorry, forgot about this part. So not only have they set up a little, like, neighborhood in the town for people to, like, have a small piece of land and to build homes mm-hmm. and everything, but they even go to the home of one of the families and pick them up and take them to their new home and then give them, like, all of these things, like bread and salt and I think wine. wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they have a little saying, and it's super sweet. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, – there's so much awesomeness of this movie. It's funny, too, at times. Like, it's not just, like, sad drama the whole movie. Like, there is humor built into the movie. James Stewart is charismatic, to say the least. So, like, he's going to have – he's going to get you to laugh. Um, when he steps on the robe and she gets – like, the robe gets pulled <laughs> off and she has yeah. to hide in the bush. Like, that scene's so funny. And then, of course, it does have tragedy, though. Every time there's something good, there's something that's going to happen to bring us back to the reality that it's it's a tough life. It's not an easy life. Um, yeah, it's definitely one I think everyone needs to watch. Um, I obviously give it the must-see, and it sounds like you're going to be on the same page. Hands down. That's not one of our re- – no. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely. Now, bef- that's our review of It's a Wonderful Life. Um Corey's first time seeing it, and she loved it. I will always watch Not this my movie. Last. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, next, 
uh, next week we start our our second year of Burke Reviews Movie Club, which we're going to do something uh, a little different. It's not too different. We're still uh, the goal of the movie club is to. Uh, try to watch movies that we've never seen, at least one of us have never seen, um, and to you know get, see some of these excellent films out there that we've skipped for some reason or another. Sometimes because I have no idea how you've missed this movie for as long as as few years you've been alive, Corey. I mean, what ten years now? Um, but somehow you <laughs> I'm managed. Twenty four. Oh, is it that? I wasn't sure. Um, yeah, I'm twenty four. <laughs> Uh, how you've managed to miss this movie for so long, but you did, and there's tons of movies like that for me and for you. I feel like, yes, but I feel like I appreciate this much more now than I probably would have ever and before. I can confirm that, because as a kid, I liked it, but I definitely appreciate it more as an adult. There's no question. Um, it's much more, I mean, for the most part, you can't really appreciate what he's going through unless you've felt that way, and as a kid, you probably haven't really felt that way yet, you know? Um, yeah, but completely unaware. What we're going to do next year, for year two, each month of the year is going to have a different theme um, that we're going to be picking our movies from. So it's still going to be the same rules where Corey will pick a movie she's never seen, I will pick a movie I've never seen, or we can technically pick a movie that we know the other person hasn't seen, which is kind of what happened with It's a Wonderful Life. Technically, it was my pick, but it was because Corey had never seen it. Um, And uh, our theme for January is going to be Certified Fresh. And what that means for us is we're picking our movies from uh, Rotten Tomatoes Top 100, which is a link that we will include in the show descriptions for those episodes. Um, so if the movie has to have uh, has to appear in that list, and one of us has to have not seen it in order for us to choose it. Um, and the first movie we're going to be watching for 2018 is Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, which Corey so kindly bought me for Christmas um, from the, the newly released Criterion Collection. And uh, I have not watched it yet, and I'm very excited that this is going to be our first movie of the year because I've been wanting to watch it. But there's, I've been trying to see as many 2017 films as I could before the year ended because um, I've officially got my number to 100, by the way, Corey. I've seen 100 movies oh, from 2017, so I was excited to hit like a nice round number. Um, but um, So we'll be watching Rebecca uh, next week. It is a Criterion film, so it may be on Filmstruck, but I'm not sure yet. Um but you can pick that up at anywhere Criterion films are sold. Normally, you can't get them digital. But uh, with that said, um, you can follow us on the social medias. I'm at Burke Reviews. I'm at Corey R. Star with two R's on the end. And you can email your thoughts about the movie or anything to contact at BurkeReviews.com. That's contact at BurkeReviews.com. And until next week, uh, keep watching movies, people. Corey, I will talk to you soon. Bye. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.